I heard a story about a man who needed to mow his lawn, and uh, he got everything ready, got up early in the morning, he went to the shed, got his equipment out, and when he tried to start his lawnmower, he realized that it wasn't working. So he said, I have an idea. The day is not completely ruined. I want to go to my neighbors and ask him for his lawnmower. So he went to his neighbor. He rang the bell. The neighbor came out in his robe and uh, PJs. And uh, when he opened the door, this man said, you know, neighbor, I, I want to ask you to let me use your lawnmower because I want to do my lawn and mine is not working. And the neighbor said, well, you know, the plane that is leaving LA to New York is going to be late today. He said, what? What does that have to do with you lending me your lawnmower? He said, well, the truth is that I don't want to let you use my lawnmower, so any excuse is as good as any other. And that is the reality of excuses. See, somebody said this morning when they saw the title about excuses, Pastor, are you going to teach us to, to, to make excuses? No, you already know how to do that. We already know how to do that. What, what we need to, to experience today is what to do after we give excuses. You see, Moses, and it seems like a long time ago that, it, that we talked about this series, Moses had been in Egypt for 40 years, 44 years in the wilderness. So by now, Moses, help me out, is how old? 80. 80. And he's at 80 years of age when God calls him. But not only calls him, he calls him again. Because Moses had already been called. And this is after 80 years, when he's 80 years old. How many 80 here, old people that we have here today or older? Don't be afraid, I'm not going to send you the wilderness or anything. But, but we have a few, right? We have a few, we have a few. And by this time, in our, in our, in our uh, lifestyle, we believe that we're already retired, we're already, you know, in, in a different stage of life. We become sometimes spectators. We let the younger people do the, the things. And probably that is exactly the thought that Moses had in his head. I already tried once. I failed. I've been here for 40 years. I'm already 80 years old. This is pretty much my last stretch. This is pretty much the rest of my life. Sitting on the rocks, watching the sheep, tendering the flocks. And now God calls him. And that kind of doesn't make sense because the first time he failed, he, hasn't, he hadn't been with the people in Egypt for 40 years, so he's disconnected for, for, from society. And you know that a lot of things happen in 40 years. Language changes, customs change, food changes, the way people communicate, expressions, idioms, things change. It didn't make sense. But I remember the last time that God spoke to Moses at the bush, the last message that we talked about, it didn't make sense either. Because God used a burning bush to be the place, the event, to talk to Moses, and that didn't make sense either. And the reason is that we don't understand sometimes that it doesn't make sense is because we have a problem. 
The way we see things is very different than the way God sees things. See, oftentimes we, we think that, 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 that people are some way, but God sees people in a different way than the way we see them. The way we see our obstacles is very different than the way God sees our obstacles. The way we see our problems is very different than the way God sees our problems. And that is the reason why we make up excuses. Because we don't see things the way God, help me out, sees them. So today, family, we're going to go to chapter 4 of Exodus. Exodus chapter 4, you can open your Bibles, you can follow along with the notes and the bulletin that you received this morning. And we're going to see how is this experience on excuses with Moses going to help us out today. So we left Moses at the burning bush, and God telling them that he's heard the cries, he's heard the complaints of the people in Egypt being slaves. And verse 1 says, then Moses answered. You know, it is interesting to read that people actually answered God. Isn't it lovely when you're saying something insightful to your children and they have an answer for everything? So this is that kind of thing. And Moses answered God, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Moses didn't say, God, I agree with you. You're right. You know everything. You're the... the all-knowing God? No. The first thing he responds to God is giving them excuses. Now, Moses gives a few excuses. In fact, there are four. In chapter 3, verse 13, he's talking in this dialogue with God, and God tells him, Moses, I want you to go back. And, and, and the excuse that Moses gives is that, what if they ask me, what is he saying? Moses was saying, I don't have the knowledge. And let's be honest, some of us, sometime, when we've been asked to do something, the first response is, I don't know how to do it. Same excuse, I don't have the knowledge. The second excuse that Moses gives is in Exodus 4.1, and this is the one we just read. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? That is the excuse of, I don't have their respect. They won't listen to me. Moses gives another excuse, and this is in verse 10. And he says, I'm slow of speech. Other version, more modern, says, I don't know the language. This is a excuse of, I don't have the ability. I've never done it before. Have you ever said that before? Verse 13, it says, plain and simple, save someone else. I don't want to go. That's the excuse of, I don't have the courage. And being honest, family, we all been guilty of one of these four excuses. 
And the sad thing is that we're guilty of this, one of these excuses at church. So, so God is saying, Moses, I know that. I know you don't know how. I know you can't do it. I know you don't have the courage. That's why I chose you. Are you breathing? So the first thing that we need to learn, family, is that when God is calling us and we have excuses, we need to remember one thing. The first three things, actually. But the first thing is that to be useful, we don't have to wait for something we don't have. God is going to use us with whatever we have. What we already have, God's going to use us with. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? Are you really with me? What is in your hand? Notice that God did not send Moses on a quest. Okay, Moses, to be able to help me, you have to go into this dark cave. And then you have to fight this giant bat. No. He said, Moses, what is in your hand? Now, this is amazing, family, because what did Moses have in his hand? A staff. A staff. Now, if you're a shepherd, you've got to have a staff. For two things. First, to bend away animals that try to eat your flock. And second, to help your, your, your sheep, to bring them back. Now, I try to find out exactly what kind of staff Moses had. And historians debate. One of the debates is that something that it was a long, like 12, 10 to 12, feet long staff with a hook on the top, and I'm thinking, no, that's like Mary has a little lamb. That's that. It, it, it couldn't be like that, because you know what? That kind of staff is not natural. Trees don't grow like that. Are you with me? So it had to be something more natural. So the logic in the Bible and the historicity of it tells us that it was just a, a straight stick. We don't know how long. But we know that Moses had it. And Moses knew how to use it. For 40 years, he was experienced with a stick. I don't know if you'll see it, but what God is telling Moses is to use, to use something that he already knows how to, do, how to use, that he already has knowledge of, that he's been experienced with. Funny thing is that people often say, well, you know, I, I don't think I can do that at church because or anything, actually, because I don't know how to do anything for church. Let me tell you, God can use any gift, any hobby, any ability that you have. Amen. Any. Any. I know a brother who's a car mechanic. He's a car mechanic. And he has his shop. And what he does is that Every time that somebody comes with a, with a car that is broken down, he has a Bible analogy for it. So when somebody comes and he, they, they bring the car, he opens the hood or, or, or connects the thing, the computer down, the, the chip thingy, I don't even know how it's called. You know what I'm talking about? They call the car and they, they tell you what's wrong with it. He always has an analogy from the Bible. You know, your car has this situation. You know, the, the, the fluids need to be replaced. 
And you know, God tells us that, that we need to be replenished every day. You know, it says that his word is, is alive and every day we need to, to have a contact with him. And, and he preaches like that. At his job because, and, you know, he has a captive audience because they can't go, the car is broken. <laughs> but, but he uses that. Now, I don't know if you see it, but there's no excuses before God. He uses us with whatever we have in our hands. Now, let's continue reading. And, and notice what it says. Verse 3. And he said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. Well, that's the logical thing to do. Right? You see a serpent? You run. But now, God says something weird. Verse 4. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. I was not praying for it to become a snake, by the way. But it's right there. It's right there. And it's a snake. And God tells of Moses, catch it by the tail. If you thought the crocodile hunter was the first one to do that, no, it was Moses. Logic tells us that to catch a snake, you got to catch it by what? By the head, because that's the part that bites. But now it seems that everybody catches the snakes by the tail. If you see every show uh, on National Geographic Channel or, or Animal Planet or whatever, you see that they catch the snakes by the tail. Now, God tells Moses to do that. Moses is running away. Do you run away from the head or from the tail? From the head. So if Moses is running away this way, the head is where? Right here. The black tip is the head. So what did Moses have to do to catch the tail? Go all the way around. What happened to Moses in that particular moment is that his perspective of the snake changed. That fear that is creating in you the excuse that you don't want to do the thing that God is asking you to do, what God is saying, you have to see it in a different way. You have to change your perspective. Because the way you're seeing it, you don't run, you're only running away from it, but what I want you to do is to go and take it. And what happened, it says right there, that when Moses grabbed it by the tail, the snake turned into a rod. Now something useful. But as long as we continue to run away because of our fear and our excuses, that thing that is waiting for us to be used, and God wants us to use it for his kingdom, never going to be useful. But the moment that we change our perspective, that we see it in a different angle, it becomes an instrument. Now, this is, there's a crazy thing about this. Because see, this, this text is talking about the staff. But the staff, it says that it was in Moses' where? Hand. In Hebrew, the word for hand is yad. Can you say yad? Y-A-D, Yad. Yad. And that is hand. But it has two other meanings. See, English and, and Spanish and most of our Western languages are uh, uh, noun-driven languages. When we teach kids how to speak them, we teach them mom, dad, house, car, ball, nouns. 
But Hebrew, it's a verb-oriented language. So it is based on actions. So hand also means possession. And hand, yad, also means extension. So I don't know if you see it yet, but this is what happened. When whatever we possess, we put it in God's hands, becomes God's extension. So whatever I have, whatever I have in my hand, I give it to God, He will use it as His extension. So I become an instrument of God. So there's no reason for me to wait to have something that I don't have to be useful. God is already telling me that I can become His extension with whatever I have in my hands, I put it in His. Now there's another lesson that Moses needed to learn. That is that excuses are given when I trust more on what I can do than what God can do. Excuses are given when I trust more on what I can do than what God can do. Verse 6. And perhaps you, you, you felt like this before. Verse 6. Again, the Lord said to him. Now, I, I don't know if you see it here, but there's God insisting, God persisting, um, making this point across to Moses for him to get it. So again, and this is a beautiful word when, when we fo it's followed by God, by the Lord. Because this is what God does all the time with us. He comes once, we, we don't listen, and other times we don't listen, but, but there's, there's the thing that even after I don't listen, even after I don't pay attention, again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak, and he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. We don't understand leprosy today because we don't see it as a regular occurrence as it was in biblical times. But if you have read about this, leprosy was a horrible disease. Because in reality, the symptoms, symptoms were the disease. Everything started by the skin turning white. And when the skin turned color white, that meant that the skin was already dying. It was a state of necrosis. So the skin has started to die, and then that, those cells that were dying, not only stayed on the skin, but moved to the muscle. So the muscles began to die. And then the cartilage, by the ear and the nose, and there were people who had leprosy without ears, without nose, because leprosy had gotten to them in that way. Until fingers would fall off, or arms, and the organs were completely exposed and the people would die. It was a horrible disease. This disease is compared as sin in the Bible. Because it starts little, with a little spot. And when it's, not, when it's not detected, when it's not treated, 
just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows until it's too late. God is telling Moses, Moses, put your hands up. I mean, Moses right now feels invisible. He just grabbed the snake by the tail. And when he puts his hand inside his cloak and he takes it out, he doesn't feel invincible anymore. Now he's a leopard. And he says that his hand was white as snow. Now it's not just a little dot, it's the whole hand. And Moses knows exactly what happens when your whole hand is white. Moses needed to understand that whatever had happened with the staff before, it was in his power. The invincibility that he might have felt when he grabbed a snake and turned it into, into stick, now it's gone. Moses, it's not about what you can do. And then God said, verse 7, put your hand back inside your cloak. And there he goes. So he puts his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was, are you breathing this morning? It was restored. It was restored. Did Moses do anything? No, who did it all? God. Moses needed to understand that it, was, it wasn't his power. It was God's power. But when we only trust what we can do, when things don't work out the way we want them to work out, that's when we give excuses. Verse 9. Verse 8, I'm sorry. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to to the first side, they may believe the later, later side, if they will not believe even those two sides, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on a dry, on dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. Now, we really don't know if Moses needed to do that. Apparently they believe him when he turned the staff into a snake. But we can see the level of patience of God. Moses, I gave you a sign. If they don't believe you, here's a second sign. And if they don't believe you, here's a third sign. That family has to tell us the greatness of the love and patience and grace of a God. Because if we have a, if we had a God that, that had the power, but not the mercy or not the grace, Okay, guys, I'm going to give you a sign. Take it or leave it. But we have a God that gives us so many chances, so many opportunities, that our excuses become useless. God gave them a plan. Moses, go, free the people. And not just that, but give them three signs. When we are about to follow God's plan for our life, family, we have to be first certain that what we're hearing is God's voice. Now, how do we know what it is? That's what we have to understand that there's a battle between the I and God. I have to come, come to a point in my life that I need to accept that, God, that God, God's wisdom is way bigger than my wisdom. That God's power is way bigger than my power. The God's understanding of the situation is way wider than mine. Because the moment that I comes in, automatically, 
I commend God for it. And I don't hear you. You know me voice I hear? It's mine. The second thing that we need to be certain of is that I have to be confident on his power. Because this is the battle between my power and his power. And this is the most dangerous one. Because all of us, at some point in time, we have done something good. At least something that we consider good. And because we've done it, we think that we can do it again. And we begin to trust on our power. Let me open up to you. It is such a great thing to finish a Sabbath worship and be outside and people come out and, and tell you, Pastor, that was a great message. Thank you for the message. And, and, and a young person says, oh, thank you, Pastor. And, and, a, and a older people tells you, oh, that was what I needed to hear. It's easy to think, man, I'm good. I understand human behavior and I'm just giving it to you. It is easy to think that. But there is no way. There is no way that what I say can speak in different ways to 400 people. There's no way. Because oftentimes, I do honestly believe this, that oftentimes what I, what I say is so bad, so horrible, that God takes it and turns it into something that you needed to hear. Because see, I've heard sometimes, Pastor, I remember you said this the other day. I'm like, oh, really? I said that? I, cool. I don't remember saying that. But see, it isn't me. It is God that turns. Whatever imperfect words I say with an accent and everything, that God turns it into the things that you need to hear. And now it turns into your job to listen to those words that God is trying to tell you or not. It is time for me to not trust on my ability because we'll be in very bad shape and trust on the ability that God has to reach our hearts. And the third thing is that we need to be comfortable with this plan. Was Moses comfortable? No. He didn't want to go. He said it play now. God sent someone else. I don't want to go. I'm comfortable here with the sheep of the desert. Really? Do you understand that oftentimes when we think we're comfortable, it's a horrible place that we were not designed to be at? But we are so used to being there 40 years for Moses and 40 years maybe for some of us. That we don't want to go in, we don't want to try anything else because we are comfortable, even if it's the worst of situations. But we need to trust like babies trust their parents. See, I remember when I used to put back seats on my car. Those car seats for babies. And I remember those moments because, see, you get the baby, you put him in the car seat, and you strap them, you know, and it seems like every year they decide more straps for those seats, and they become so incredibly difficult to put in the car, at least 
That's how it was back in our day. And the tether and the latch and the this and the that, and the thing that comes over. But see, there's a crazy thing about this. That when that baby is sitting in the car seat and dad or mom is driving, they fall asleep. Why did they fall asleep? Because first, they don't fear anything. They're comfortable. There's a level of safety and security and comfort that they have that they trust that mom and dad driving, I can fall asleep. I like to think that when daddy's driving, I can trust that I'm gonna get safely to the other side. And that is exactly what God is telling Moses. Moses, I got the wheel. Just get the backseat. I got this. The third thing we have to remember about excuses is that there is not a limitation that God cannot use for His glory. There is not a single limitation that we think we have that God cannot use. Amen. Whatever you think is preventing you from doing something for God, God can use. Amen. Verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm a slow speech and of tongue. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Moses, who made the tongue? Now, this is similar to what happened to Job. You remember Job? He had an argument with God. See, first, his friends, you remember the story of Job. Job was a man who was righteous. The Bible says he was a righteous man. He did things right before God. He chose well every time. And in fact, when the bad news happened, he was offering sacrifices to God for all his children, 10 of them. But a wind came at the house where his children were celebrating and destroyed the house and all his children died. When the news came to him, the news did not come along alone. Some of his friends came with the news. And they were blaming him. Almost, uh, Joseph, uh, Joe, you know, that guy. <laughs> Joe, this happened because you probably have a sin. And they began to point. This happened because something you've done. You gotta come honest, you gotta come to God and, and repent. And for three chapters, the friends tell him everything that he had to do. And another chapter, a young man that was walking around came to Job and said, Job, yeah, that happened because you probably have something happened. For the next 38 chapters, God is speaking to Job. Job, and, and these are the things that God is telling Job. Job, do you know where I store the snow? Do you know where the rainwater comes from? Do you know how deep the fundament of the earth is? And Job is like, no, I haven't seen that chapter. I haven't seen that documental. Job obviously did not know the answers. And most of the times we are in the same situation. Moses is given excuse, but what he's questioning God already knows. He designed the plan. He has the answer. 
Moses, who made the tongue? Let me tell you, when I was told that I was going to be your pastor, I had a little bit of fear. In fact, I sweat every time I preach. But see, all of us have to come to that moment where we have to realize that it's not about me. That it's God who's in charge. That it's God who's giving us the responsibility and equipped us to continue. Verse 13, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Wow, it took so long for God to be angry. This preaches to me. This preaches to me. If you're like me, you get angry real quick. God is such a patient God. Until now, when Moses tells us that someone else, now he his anger got kindled. Basically, the first match was on to light it up. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? It's like telling Moses, Moses, you know this, have you heard of this guy? Yeah, my brother. Well, I know he can speak well. He is there with the, with the Hebrew. He is there with the, in Egypt. He understands the culture, the language, the, 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 the people. He knows how to talk in their way, in that place, and at this time. So guess what? He's going to speak for you. You're going to be like me, and he's going to be your voice. Can Moses give any more excuses? Oh, verse 17, by the way, take your staff. Don't forget it. That's the thing that was in your hand. It is said of a man who was in charge of a lighthouse on the rocky coast of the Pacific. And what happened was that man gave her some oil. Another time, another man came and he asked for some oil for his family, and he gave her some oil. And, 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 and day by day, people came asking for some oil. This man realized that the month was not to be over yet, but the oil was almost gone. The night when the oil ran out from the lighthouse, several sh ships collapsed, crashed, under the waves because they didn't see the rock. There was an investigation of what had happened. And when the investigators came to interview this lighthouse keeper, they asked what happened? And this man said, well, I believe that those excuses were, were legitimate. And I thought that I was doing something good. But they responded. You had a job. And the job was that you were given the oil 
to keep the light on. You were given the oil to keep the light on. Family, we have been given a responsibility. And that responsibility is to keep the light on. And there's people who are there in the ocean of this world trying to get to shore and the only way that they can get there is when they see the light on. And God wants to use every one of us with the things that we can do, with the abilities that He's given us, with the resources that He's granted us to keep the light on so that others out there can see the light and come to save. God is ready to turn all of our excuses into His power and ability. God is ready today to use you to keep the light on. And remember, when the light is on, it's also for your safety. So today, as we think of the experience of Moses, our blessing sings our song this morning. Let's remember that in the midst of the darkest night, God wants us to remain in the light so that others can see it.
something that we learned this morning, Lord, is that, that you can't take our imperfections and make them into miracles. So, Father, today we want to open our hearts and minds to you so that you can take away our fears and mistrust and you can turn them into your light and your grace. May we become instruments of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 